Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And today we have a special guest. She's trained in ballet, tap, and jazz. She's the founder of Dance Attack, owner of Dance Center in Redlands, winner of Legends of Swing in 2011, California Dance Hall of Fame recipient, choreographer and coach to many of us in the swing community, Benji and Lacey's mom, and my sister from another mister, Lori Schwimmer. Hi, Welcome. Deborah. So, Eric and I are really excited to have you here today. We're going to ask you lots of questions, but we always start with the same kind of same question when we start. So I want you to tell us how you met Buddy and how you started in West Coast Swing. Oh, my. Okay. Going back many, many years. Um, the the first time I ever met Buddy was actually at a studio he owned in Newport Beach, California, and it was in this little tiny warehouse, and he called it Buddy's Dance Clinic. And his opinion was he wanted people to come in and get better, like a, like a medical clinic. So he didn't call it a dance studio. He called it a dance clinic. So they would walk in hurting, but then they'd walk out feeling good because they had danced for a long time. So I was a senior in high school, and the movie Saturday Night Fever just came out, and all of us wanted to learn about disco. So there was an ad in the newspaper, and it said, come learn disco lessons by this disco king, Buddy Schwimmer. Okay, we'll go over there. So a bunch of us cheerleaders and football players went over there, Went into the office, saw Buddy, but he actually didn't teach the class. He was just sitting at the office. And Lynn Bogan, who many people know in the, in the swing world, was actually the teacher of that class. Jumpstart a couple months later, I go to Orange Coast College, take a jazz class by somebody named H. Schwimmer. All I knew from Buddy was his name was Buddy. I didn't know anything about the Schwimmer part. So I walk in the classroom, and there's Buddy. And I go, hey, you're that Buddy guy that owns the dance studio in Newport. <laughs> What are you doing teaching the class? So that's actually how I met him. So I met him through learning jazz, which is really interesting because he taught the jazz class there. Then it wasn't until I started dating him and learning more about social dancing that I finally started realizing what West Coast Swing was. And I literally hated the dance. <gasps> hated it. <laughs> Why is that? What? Hated it. And I think my problem was, Deborah, that I'm such a perfectionist. That if I wasn't doing it correctly, because I didn't know enough about it, that I wanted just to kind of give up on it and learn another kind of dance. Because I love nightclub two-step. I loved East Coast Swing. West Coast Swing, I just couldn't get it. It just took me so long to get it. Once I did, it's it's my life. It's what I do. So I never gave up on it. It was tough. You're the second person that's actually said, because Lorene said the same thing when she first started. She didn't like it either. Yeah. it's, It's a hard dance only because... For it to be authentic, you have to be able to bear your soul out there and you've got to let the music kind of move your body. And I think at that age and time when I was 21 years old, I don't think I had anybody ever say, you know, go ahead and let it go, get it, let it loose and do whatever you feel like doing. And it was kind of just a bizarre thing for me. Um, the other social dances seem to be more, okay, this is the next pattern. You can learn this pattern. You do this, waltz, cha-cha. That I got, but West Coast Swing with as liberal it is. Right. Um, it took me a while to get going on that. Was there a turning point? Like, was there a point where you were like, okay, now I'm I'm enjoying this. I figured it out. You know, what's funny is there was a turning point. And I, I think I told Deborah this yesterday. Um, it took me about five years and I didn't give up on it solely. But what I would do is I wouldn't dance with Buddy because I always felt like when people were dancing with Buddy, they were looking at Buddy. They weren't looking at the girl that was dancing. They were looking at Buddy. And I thought if I want somebody to watch me, when I'm dancing with Buddy, then I got to know my stuff. 
So I would continue to social dance. And really, it was through trial and error of dancing with every type of dancer that I finally started figuring out how to get out of things, how to get into things, feel a little bit more comfortable. And so about five years, he said, let's do an exhibition at some camp we were at. And for the first time, I felt like, okay, I'll go out there now, and then I've got something to give. So the motivation was to be able to dance with Buddy? <laughs> like to be seen well, dancing with him? Dance him. <laughs> to outdance him. Outdance him. So that I felt like somebody <laughs> may be looking at me like, oh, well, he married her. She was young. She's a little dancer. But I wanted to be known as someone serious that he was dancing with versus, well, he married her, so I guess I'll dance with her. Right. So I just wanted to have my own signature. Well, did you get married first? Yes. And you did. We did. We got married. Um, I dated Buddy in 1980, asked me on a date, said no. Um, I thought he was just this dirty old man. And, <laughs> he was, you know, <laughs> he's in college with girls in leotards and tights and, and out in nightclubs. I'm like, I'm not going out with you. But he persisted. And I finally said to him, I'll go out with you if it's a double date. And that you get me home by 10 and you give me a kiss on the cheek. And that's the end of the date. And he goes, okay, I'll do that. And he did. He got this couple at the studio to go on a date with us. Um, and then we started dating a little bit after that. And then the following year, February 1981, on Valentine's Day, we got married. Nice. Okay. So yeah. other than Buddy, who you learned from, um, who else influenced you as you were learning West Coast Swing or just... Since you learned over the years, who's been an influence on you as a West Coast Swing dancer? Do you know, it's interesting because uh, I was at the Congress at the U.S. Open this this last weekend of Thanksgiving, and Robert Royson did a really cool workshop about the history of West Coast Swing and why it looks the way it does and why there are certain people along the way that have given us these little tiny changes that make us look the way we do today. So, I mean, my first really other swing dancer was Lynn Vogan. Um, and she was really one of the pioneers of the U.S. Open as far as a woman dancing regularly at the U.S. Open. But she would always have different partners. She had Lance Shermon, I think, a couple times. And she had this other guy, really tall guy, Deborah. I don't know if you remember him. Really good looking guy, blonde hair, tall, uh, trained dancer. I just can't remember his name. But not she, Jim Fisk. Not Jim Fisk. No. but. It, he was a really nice looking guy. Anyways, I used to watch her because I respected her because she danced with Buddy for so long. And I thought anybody that could dance with somebody, I mean, so long with Buddy, they've got to know something about how to look and how to say, well, look at me as well. But going on as far as the women goes, over the years, I've loved Loreen. I love her femininity when she dances. Um, I've loved Deborah because when Deborah came around, you, Deborah, changed the face of West Coast Swing for ladies because you commanded the dance. And I always felt that before that, the ladies were always, they were in the dance. They were kind of the polish on the dance, but they didn't give a statement of the dance. And mm. I think it was because of your training and your know-how of so many other dancers that you were able to do that and not make it look like you were working it. You made it look like I am here I'm a part of this and I have something to say and I'm not just the embellishment of Robert on the other side of my hand. In fact, Robert better look at you as, as the leader um, <laughs> because really you taught him so much about dancing, Deborah, not just about West Coast Swing, but you taught him how to dance, to be honest with you. Oh, right. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
what was it, you know, because I know how it was like to work with Robert uh, as a dance partnership, but what was it like to work with Buddy? Okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So working with Buddy has always been interesting because for the most part, Buddy is a happy guy. And he mm-hmm. loves people and he's outgoing and he loves to tell jokes when he teaches yes. and everybody laughs in the class. And we all have a good time and everybody would come up to me at these workshops and they'd say, God, you're so lucky. Is he like this all the time? And I'd say, well, no, he's not like this all the time. I said, he's a happy guy, but he's not like this all the time. Buddy came from a school where the guy had the say so in the dance. The guy was the leader and the guy was deciding what was going to be next with the music. He's never been good at letting the lady, I don't know if you want to call it hijacking or just accent where she feels the music is going. He's never been very good at that. Um, And so he comes from a very old school in that kind of styling. In classes, Deborah, in workshops, it was kind of hard sometimes because he would give a technique of something. And in my head, I'm thinking, that's not what I would think. And that's not what I think I would do. And so I would save embarrassment and just kind of let it go. But when we got divorced and I opened up my own studio, boy, did I finally start having a say so as to how I wanted to teach that dance and how I wanted to coach that dance. So I don't want to say anything bad about him. We really are coming from two different cloths. And I think Benji, for the most part, has issues in that area as well he sees things a little different than his dad in in west coast swing as well well i think that that's part of the having two different like you come from the same training i do yes laurie yes and i ended up dancing with someone that's very much like buddy yes very much so that same thing happens to me except i wouldn't i would open my mouth (laughs) <laughs> you are I wanted to have a place. from New York City, Ms. That, that's right. And I think also it was a different time, too. Like, you know, I, I yeah. grew up a different way, right? And I, I'm, I'm someone that uh, wants to be heard, and I'll do whatever it takes to get heard. Yes. Which is now why everyone, you know, I think, you know, women get heard a little bit more in the community. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you're very heard. You're very well respected, Lori. All the girls look to you. I know I do. That's sweet. Thank you. Yeah. Sister from another mister. Sister from another mister. <laughs> uh, Lori, you've trained so many successful dancers, um, including your son Benji and your daughter Lacey. What has been your approach to training young dancers? And, and what do you think makes it so successful? And is there anything, because you, you mentioned that, you know, you worked with Buddy and didn't have much of a say. Is there anything that you do differently than Buddy did? I'm curious, like, what you started Very doing. Much so. Very, very much so. As far as teaching young kids to dance and teaching Benji and Lacey to dance, it really depends on where the child wants to go. If the child wants to do a competition and have it an an experience and say, I did it, and then goes on to soccer, football, tennis, whatever they're going to do, that's a whole other ballgame. You have kids that you know, and Deborah knows this, that have the it factor. And you don't come across them all the time. And when you do... I have always gone straight up to the parent and has said, listen, your child has something special about them and you really need to nourish this dancing because they can do something with this. Um, Jordan Frisbee was one of those. Jordan came to us when he was a young boy and I said, that kid has something. He's going to make it big. Tatiana, same thing. Mm-hmm. 
Benji had it from the time he was six months old. He did our uh, dance show with me and Buddy in a little Johnny jumper between the two of us <laughs> and was kicking his legs as Buddy and I were doing like a soft shoe on the side of him or something. But when the kids have that it factor, it gets exciting not only for the child and the parents, but for me, because I know that that child's going to be completely focused in the lesson and completely just absorbed with learning and doing great and being perfect. So they're easy to coach. Mm -hmm. The biggest problem with coaching young kids are the parents. And if you have great parents that say, we will listen to what you say, right? the child, tell us where you need them, tell us what you want them to do, and we'll be there. It's fantastic. It's when you have the parents that are saying, well, so-and-so or this, and don't you think they should wear this in their costume? Or they did a pop song and we did a blues song, and they start comparing. Mm -hmm. Then I say, either you do not come to the practices anymore, and I've kicked out parents in the practices, um, or maybe this is not for you and your family. This is not the way it's going to go. Another it factor was Tori Smith. We got when she was five years old, and I told her mom, The first time I met her, I said, this little girl is going to go places. And Kim was the first one that said, what do I do? What do we do with her? Mm -hmm. All right, let's get her in jazz, tap, da-da-da-da, let's get her partner, da-da-da-da, and and it just rolled with it. The kids that are in dance now, um, we've lost a little bit of that coupling generation that starts from a young age and then takes them all the way through to the professional age, which is 18 or above. And I'm sad about that because it's hard to find the boys um, that want to stay in that dance sport in West Coast Swing that long, knowing that maybe dad doesn't really want them to be dancing. Dad really wants them in water polo. We've had kids break it up for football, baseball, track, all kinds of stuff. So it's kind of a marriage of parents myself and the kids. And if that goes good, then you have these magical kids that come up in the rankings and they do great things as professionals. Mm -hmm. Can you describe what it is you kind of see when you see the it factor? Is it just like an, uh, an ease about their physical movement? Is it something about their personality, their enthusiasm, their mindset? Right. An it factor, I think, is very recognizable from another it factor. (laughs) Deborah, you're going to understand that. Mm -hmm. You can be a kindred spirit with even a child and they listen to you and they look at you and you know, Mm -hmm. you know that they are just right in the game with you. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just the universe or of two people meeting together and saying, this needs to happen and let's fly with this thing. The other obvious thing is that the child picks up so darn fast and you can challenge them every single lesson and they just keep upping the game and upping the game and they start escalating in the speed of which it's like, okay, this kid's going to be way above their age level. And then it gets another level. Oh my God, this kid's dancing better than a 16 year old and they're only eight years old. So Mm -hmm. you see that obviously, but an it factor is like a soul to a soul. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know. It, there's just something inside of me that knows when a child is going to make a great dancer. Yeah, just some kind of intuition. There really is. There really is. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you said it takes an it factor to recognize an it factor. Because when I was growing up in dancing school, I had two dance instructors. And one that saw my talent and the other one that didn't. And the one that didn't wasn't the teacher that had it factor. Isn't that funny? Yes. Oh, my God, Deborah. So the fact that you said that just made a light bulb go off in my head. Isn't that something? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I just wanted to ask a follow-up question about 
about teaching, um, because clearly the proof is in the pudding. You're an incredible teacher who's trained all these dancers. I'm wondering what your kind of pedagogical approach to teaching is. Um, you know, you said that you struggled with West Coast Swing and getting the feeling of it. Is there right. something you do as a teacher to help uh, either young dancers or adult dancers to get the feel and flavor of this dance and become successful at it? Yes, there's there's actually quite a bit of things. And and Deborah, this kind of goes back to once I got my studio, my own studio, I was able to teach the way that I wanted to teach that I felt would be so beneficial to dancers because I knew the struggle of a lot of dancers not feeling like they had either the confidence or the self-esteem to be moving their hips or winking or touching a guy's face as they dance, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So what I do in, in dance, I, I teach kind of unorthodox, I think, than most, most West Coast Swing teachers. So I have a, a young lady that I'm teaching right now that just started West Coast Swing back in September. She's 14 years old. She's trained in everything beyond anything. Um, great parents who said, listen, she wants to do this. Tell us what you want us to do with her. Very much it factor kit. So we start obviously with the basics, but then after you hit that basic line, in order to be competitive now, because she hasn't had those beginning years that some kids have when they're six, seven, eight years old, she got the beginning stuff at 14, which in a weird sort of way is a little late um, for some dancers, especially if they're competitive at that age. It really is. So what I do is we go through all different types of music, whether it's contemporary, blues, pop, sweet, mellow, um, old school, classic, whatever. I will mm -hmm. make dance to even Canon and D and do West Coast mm -hmm. Swing to Canon and D and show me still your basics and show me style and show me what that song makes your body feel like doing. And if it means moving your shoulder or standing still for just a second and then just moving your body out of a horn or out of a piano. So I want them to understand music and that music is a partner with you, as is the partner that you're dancing with. And to interpret the music and then have the partner connect with you, that's like, that's magic. Mm -hmm. That's that's what dancing is all about. And that's even with any kind of dancing, just doing improv with contemporary, improv with jazz or improv with lyrical. It's the same sort of thing. But it's partnering, and that's the difficult part. Mm -hmm. You want to connect with your partner physically, mentally, emotionally, physically. Right. 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 That's the tough part about West Coast Swing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I struggled. And it wasn't until I was in my probably late 30s that I really realized, wow, this is what I should have been working at better than just pattern to pattern to pattern. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tell us a little bit about raising and training. Um, uh, Benji and Lacey, and how how did you, what did you do to guide uh, their careers, and, and what do you think about where their careers are right now? Okay, so Benji, ben, another big breath, Deborah. I know. <laughs> okay, here we go. So Benji, um, Benji was very easy to raise, and I don't know if it's just a boy. Boys are easier to raise. I've always heard that. In the um, beginning. He was just easy. Things rolled off his back, just a sweet kid. Loved dancing, but he wasn't very good at it when he was younger. He had to work so hard at doing even the most basic steps. His personality, on the other hand, was way off the charts. And I knew one day those two would merge finally, and then you would have this great little dancer. But there were times that I remember um, I was in the kitchen one night, 
And Benji was probably about eight years old and I was cooking and I heard this thunking going on in my garage going, what the heck is that? I peeked through the door. There's Benji on a gymnastics mat, throwing a back handspring and hitting his head on the mat every time he's landing. And there's these tears rolling down his face. And I looked at him and my heart just melted because he wanted this so badly that he was hitting his head every time, every time, every time, and was so frustrated. That's how Benji was as a kid. He would cry sometimes because Heidi, his cousin, was two and a half years older than him. Girls were more coordinated at those early ages anyways. And so Heidi would pick up things really fast, and Benji would always struggle. So we had to really train him in a way where we would say, keep going. One day, this is going to catch up with you. One day, everything is going to mesh, and this is all going to make sense. It was very difficult going to competitions and having him lose, and not necessarily lose last place, but never never making maybe past third or fourth place with dancers that were pigeon-toed, dancers that were hunched over, dancers that didn't have correct technique that we mm-hmm. were trying to instill in him. Mm-hmm. And he'd say, Mom, what? why? What's going on? I said, Benji, it's just not your time. It's not your time right now. One day, like I said, you're going to have your day in the sun and everything will make sense. And he did. And it was great. Um, Benji trains harder than anybody I ever have known. Amen. And, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. Deborah? Yes. And, Thinking about that little kid on the mat hitting his head, he'll go in the studio and get a hernia and still dance through the hernia and he's in pain and he'll still continue to do it. And I think that little kid in him that always had to try harder than anybody else really has never left him. And I think sometimes he has an image of himself as, but is that good enough? Could I be doing this better? Is that more, could we make it more difficult and when he does a U.S. Open routine, before he sets it in stone, he'll have me and Buddy come in. He'll go, now be blatantly honest with me. Is this good enough? Is this going to sell the way I think it's going to sell? And I think it's that little boy in him that always worries, was I good enough? Am I pointing my toes and the other guy isn't? Is he winning? Well, why is that? Why didn't we change this place? So he's constantly like that. Um, never had to ask Benji to rehearse as a kid because he was already doing it. Never had to remind him, hey, you didn't put in three or four hours at the studio today. Let's get you back in class. Never, ever, ever, ever. Hard worker always. Mm-hmm. Lacey, on the other hand, was a different kind of kid. Lacey didn't want to dance. And I don't know if it was because she saw her brother mm-hmm. dancing and she didn't want to be like her brother because she has a very secure personality of who she is. Yes. And so in, because she'd have to be following her brother well, then that doesn't make her an individual in a sense. So when she was three, she dabbled in little tiny top class and really wasn't too thrilled with any of it, liked wearing costumes, but that was about it. Then she went through, I want to be a singer. And then we worked on singing. She wanted to do horses. And I could sense that she was trying to figure out what to do. One day she came to me, she goes, okay, I'm going to dance. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and dance. Okay, so you're going to take it serious because if you're going to dance and you want to compete, you're going to have to take this seriously. From that moment on, never a problem. I don't know in those little early years in her little head, maybe she just did not want to follow her brother. Even back then, knowing that it's so hard to follow a sibling that is successful in dance. And if you think about it, guys, she did that for So You Think You Can Dance. She followed her brother. Right. She, you know what I mean? It, it's right. 
that's a tough thing to follow. So I think Lacey, the difference between her and Benji as kids, and to this day, she picks up so damn fast. You can show her something. She can emulate it. She remembers it. She can break down the teaching of it. And she's she's off into the next project that she's doing. So she just approached dancing very differently. Um, hers was perfection, as was Benji's. But she would get upset with her partners that were not as perfect. And so <laughs> as a mom, I had to sit there and say, Lacey, don't talk to him that way. As we know, it's hard to have boys as a partner. Please do not push him away. Mm-hmm. We need to keep him here. So be nice to the guy. Um, but she had to... She pushed those boys that she danced with very hard, Deborah, very, very hard to a point that there were boys that would walk out of the room just crying and saying, why does she have to be like this, Lori? And I go, I know. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. You are doing great. Just remember you're doing great. Just try to let it go in and out the other on this. Um, In doing so of Lacey's personality, she made those boys champions, too. Um, Right. And so she was a really strong force for them. But in the long run, they gained a lot from her very outgoing, strong personality. And what would you say the choices that because both Benji and Lacey do have dances, their career, but they're different. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Did you help in that? Okay. so what's interesting, because people have talked to me about this before, saying, wow, you're so cool. You got them ready for television. There was no dancing with the stars or so you think you can dance when they were little. There wasn't anything. I mean, Deborah, in our generation, we had Star Search, Star Search. Mm -hmm. Um, Really, that was about it. Solid Gold. Solid Gold, the gong show. I was on (laughs) gong show dancing. I remember. I saw it. So, I mean, it's, it's stuff like that that we were not preparing them to be on television. We were preparing them so that if they chose to have dance as a career, that they would be prepared. So it's just because these things came up. Benji was on his mission uh, for two years and he came back and he was home for a couple of weeks and he said, mom, have you heard of the show? So you think you can dance? I said, yeah, I, I caught a couple little snippets of it, but I really wasn't too interested in it. It seemed a little silly to me. He goes, well, I think I'm going to try out for it. And I went, really? And he goes, yeah, I, I think I'm going to be on, I'm going to go try out for the show. That was how that started. That was the conversation that we had never realizing what was going to happen with his career during that time. During that time on So You Think You Can Dance, that show is such a tough show to be on. Mm -hmm. You are living with your competitors. They all want to win. You're eating with them. You're practicing with them. You're not allowed to go out of the apartment area that you're in. So it's not an easy road on that show. It's not an easy road on Dancing with the Stars. There's a lot of, and I hate to say this, you got to kiss a lot of butt on both of those shows. Mm-hmm. That's um, in the entertainment business in general, don't you think? Yes. And, yeah. and Deborah, I think that's why my kids, they've done enough television and they'll do it, but only under their terms now. When they yeah. first went on there, I think they had to play the game a bit. They just know this is what we want. This is what we're going to do. Um, I don't need television for my career to be successful. Mm-hmm. So with Benji after So You Think You Can Dance, he thought, what am I going to do next? And he says, mom, I still want to compete in swing. Go compete in swing then. So he never took it as television higher, swing competitor lower. He still had unfinished business. He, right. I want to be a competitor. I want to be 
a champion West Coast swing for a long time. So his career now goes through ice skating. He does tons of choreography for ice skaters, which just cracks us up because we used to watch all the ice skating competitions on television. And be like, geez, if I could only choreograph for them. Yeah, right? yeah. So I know. It's so funny. And every time, Benji said the first time he walked out on the ice skating rink in Michigan, he goes, Mom, it was like my childhood heroes were all out on that rink. Those are the people that we used to watch. And he goes, what am I doing here on this? Um, but does that. And then, of course, he choreographs for everybody in the West Coast Swing World. But he does all kinds of shows for people and and does workshops and congresses and blah, 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 blah. So he does television as well. He's just a little bit more selective of what he wants to do. As far as Lacey goes, um, she was kind of done with dance when she turned 17 years old. She said, I don't want to do this anymore. She had had it with partners. She had it with everybody. She didn't want to do it. So she decided that she wanted to go to Paul Mitchell Hair School. And a I friend of who's a hairdresser said, listen, the waiting list is three years. But because I know everybody there, I can get you in in the next month. So Buddy and I shall out $19,000 to get that paid, right? She's supposed to go to college two days, her first day. And Benji makes So You Think You Can Dance. And <laughs> there goes your college. And there goes $19,000. And she says, I, I want to be there for him. I want to be in the audience. I want to I experience this whole thing. And if I'm at hair college, I'm not going to be able to experience this. Love the show. Then she says she wants to try out. We didn't think that was such a good idea, to be honest with you, because we thought, oh, Lacey, maybe maybe wait another year. And she goes, nope, I'm going to go try it. And I know I'm not going to be treated nice because I'm going to be his little sister and it's going to be the nepotism thing. So she goes, nope, mom, I'm going to do it. And she did the show and it was way harder on Lacey than it was on Benji. Both of them had a really, really hard time, but Lacey really had a hard time on that show. Um, and then directly after So You Think, uh, she was in Norway working with Buddy and comes back into the country a month later and sees all these messages on her phone. Dancing with the Stars says, we want you to be on this season. Can you be at the studio Monday? And mm -hmm. that's how she got that job. She never applied for it. She didn't know anything about it. And so, again, they've done lots of television. Lacey choreographs a lot of stuff in Vegas, um, goes all over the United States, um, doing kind of a new thing right now where she's putting – Latin training and technique into giving it a solo type look so yes. that girls, you know what I mean? So that yes. girls don't have partners. I've seen her do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Experience what Latin feels like. And she just gives it that, Deborah, that edge of her that is just so gorgeous on the floor that no other competitor when Lacey was competing in Latin had that edgy kind of look. Her Lacey um, was fierce. Still is. Still is. What's really yes. interesting is, and we had a talk about this, Deborah, just the other day. Um, I was telling Lacey, I said, you know, the thing about you in competition, Lacey, you were never scared. She goes, mom, I was scared to death. I said, no, you weren't. She goes, no, I was. I said, well, you never showed it. She goes, no, I couldn't. I couldn't show it. I wanted my competitors to think, wow, that girl's got it all together. Crap. What are we going to do now? Right. Um, so in swing, she grew up with swing. She knew the kids, she knew the people, but when she did Latin, <laughs> that was a whole other ball game on her competition years. And when Benji went on his mission, she said to me, Mom, I want to be United States Latin champion, youth Latin champion. Deborah, you know enough about ballroom. That's pretty much an impossibility, yeah. um, especially because she had started so late. Right. Um, and the, the, the Russian community that dominates 
Latin. Oh my God, I know, it's crazy. Is unbelievable. You can't beat them. Uh, their work ethic is, is unbelievable. So we got a partner for her, moved in with us, lived with us, trained with us, and we kind of put a plan of attack together. And we said, well, we think we can get her to win in three years. Let's do this for three years. Let's get her to all the comps she needs to be at. Let all the judges see her. Let's see what happens. And she won it in two and a half years. And so I think after she won that, because of the work and the time and everything we put into it, I think she just went, okay, I'm done. I've, I've won a swing title. I've, I've won this and I'm done. And then, like I said, so you think came up and I think it reignited her. I think mm -hmm. uh, it brought her back to where she really did love being, which was dancing. So something we've talked about on this show before is uh, mindset and kind of the, you know, you're referring to the it factor, but there's also the factor of like, you have to put in the work, right? Yes. Um, and Benji clearly was very naturally driven and, and had great work ethic. Right. Um, but I'm wondering in your training, have you <clears throat> had to like develop somebody's work ethic? And if so, like, how do you, how do you develop the, the child's mindset and drive so that they can really achieve their potential? Okay. So this is probably a negative remark to that question. <laughs> you cannot force anybody to practice. Sure. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. You can tell a student who's been dragging their heels in a lesson and say, you know, just remember, I know you want to win this contest. So do all the other couples and they're practicing harder than you. So I, I can say that kind of stuff to them. Is it going to lock in? Is it going to be permanent? You don't know. Mm -hmm. And it's the it factor kids that you don't have to have that conversation with because they already know that they need to work. So you can tell a dancer that is in a lesson. Let's say this is not a competitive dancer that's in a lesson. You're going to get out of this lesson what you put into this lesson. If you want to just kind of be relaxed, chill, yeah, let's try this, let's try that, blah, blah, blah. That's what you're going to get from the lesson. If you're going to go in there and you're clean and you've got fresh clothes on and your hair is done and you walk out of that lesson sopping wet and you look like somebody just dunked you in water, barely breathing, skin red, that's the person I want to work with. Right. That's the student I want. I don't want the other one. So I don't work with people, kids or adults, that don't want something really desperately hard. They don't want to do the work. Yes, because that's how I like to coach. I don't want to bring your spirit up. I don't say when you're good. I tell you when you're not doing something right. If you're good at something, I don't need to keep reminding you about that. I need to keep on top of things that are not looking good so that we don't have to talk about those again. So I'm not, I'm not a sugar-coated coach whatsoever. <laughs> I never have been with my kids, and I won't do that to anybody. Um, I don't think that helps anybody. Um, because then they end up going to a competition. If you're saying, oh, you're so good, you're so great, the parents are going, well, do you think they're going to do all right? And I'm like, well, you know, let's see what's up at the competition that day. <clears throat> they walk off the floor, they haven't placed. Mm -hmm. And then they look at me with these sad eyes. I can't do that to somebody. Yeah. I want them to know, honestly, the minute they do the dance and they come off the floor, I will give them an honest opinion of what I just thought of what they did. Whether it's good or bad doesn't matter. I'm going to give them an honest opinion. And this is why you, it's so important that when you're a competitor, that you have a coach that is dead honest with you so that you don't have to have any second thoughts, second guesses, second this. You never told me that. Tell them straight. 
completely straight. They'll appreciate you and they will forever want you to be a coach for them. Amen. Deborah, what's what's interesting is, and I don't know if I've ever told you the story. I think I might have years ago, but it's about coaching and, and what you were just talking about, Eric, is um, Donnie Burns and Gaynor Fairweather uh, were the World Lunch Champions 14 times in a row, something like a Benji thing. And we didn't really know who they were, to be honest with you. And we were at a, a ballroom competition in San Diego one year, and Ron Montez, who's a really good friend of ours, Latin dancer, came up to me and Buddy, and they said, hey, you know, there's a Latin couple from England that just came here, and they would like to know a little bit about um, swing, and they want to incorporate a little bit of West Coast swing in their jive. Would you be able to work with them for an hour? Sure. Fine. We go in this room. Hi, I'm Donnie. Hi, I'm Gaynor. Lori, Buddy, whatever. The hour lesson turned into a four-hour lesson, and all we worked on was an underarm turn. Makes sense. An underarm turn to the point that Donnie would say, that is not what my foot is doing. Why is your foot turned at that angle? And why is the hip placement on you, Lori, different than where it is on Gainer? And we literally had to dissect an underarm turn. So at the end of four hours, Ron goes walking past the room we were at in the hotel, in the ballroom. And he then backtracks. He goes, are you guys still in here? He goes, I thought it was an hour. I said, no, it's been four hours. He goes, well, what do you think? You know, how'd they do? And so Ben, your buddy says, well, he's a little stiff. And then I, and I said, she's a little gangly in the movement. But, you know, with a little bit of help, they're going to be checked on. The 15-time champions. It's so funny. So, so then Ron says, do you know who you're talking to? And I said, yeah, Donnie and Gaynor. Right. And then, of course, he tells us who they were. And then Buddy goes, he's still stiff. And I said, and she's still gangly. So <laughs> right. it, 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 that's the thing I'm talking about coaching. You cannot, I don't care who it is. Yes. You just can't do that kind of stuff to people. Not if they come to you for, for genuine help. you got to yeah, be honest with them. I totally agree with that. You know, I get, I get, you know, called out about a lot that I'm really, you know, tough. and Right. But that's my job. Right. Just to make you good. I, I can't tell you how many times if I know that you're in an event, whether it's your swing class or jazz, whatever you're teaching, I tell my students to go to because I don't want them to always get positivity. I want them to have somebody on their back and really watching them and making them work harder. Haley, who adores you, has taken classes and she goes, Lori, I just love Deborah. She reminds me so much of you because she'll just tell it straight. And I said, see, isn't that a good way to learn? It's a great right. way to learn. Yeah. Don't sugarcoat anything. I think that's because also, Lori, you and I come from, we come from ballet, tap, and jazz backgrounds where most really good ballet, tap, and jazz instructors are like that. They don't say, oh, you're doing great. They just, they, they're straight. Deborah, I had a, a ballet teacher to this day. If she ever walked in a room, I would probably salute her um, because I'd be so scared of her. She had us um, line up. We could not go into the room yet. The door to the dance room was shut. We would have to line up. Then she would open the door. She'd take four or five steps back. One at a time, you had to come up to her, kiss the top of her hand and curtsy and say, good afternoon, Miss Francis. Mm -hmm. And she'd say, good afternoon and take her hand. You may go to the bar. Then you'd stand at the bar, look straight ahead. You couldn't talk. You couldn't do anything. Every little girl had to go through it. She would say, and now plie, put the music on. You would do this. She would carry a stick with her and yep. a tambourine. And in one hand, she'd be pounding the floor with the beat. And if your knees were not wide enough, she'd take that stick and press out, press out your knees. 
at the same time take the tambourine and smack your butt under so that you had correct posture. So as a child, you'd hear the stick coming behind you at the bar thinking, oh my God, please, please be doing this right. But mm-hmm. you know what, Deborah? She made me a great dancer. Yep. I have no complaints about that woman. Agreed. But seriously, it was like if I ever become a dance teacher, I need to use her as an example. I need to be that way because it helped me. Yes. So, no, my dance teachers, I'm sure like yours, Deborah, they were not sweet. They were not nice. No, I had I had I had two. One was sweet and one wasn't. And they they both had their place. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But I wouldn't have been good if I, they were always sweet. No, you honestly. can't do it that way. No. So, Eric, oh, yeah. I hope that answers your question. Yeah. It's just, <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you've choreographed many teams. You've choreographed um, lots of different couples. Um, what's your approach to doing choreography? What to you makes for a winning choreography? And how do you piece that together? Okay. So... When you choreograph routine, it always helps to know the couple. And it helps to know the couple um, from what you've seen from their past, what they've done, and then to find out where they are in their dancing, what what are their capabilities. So you have to kind of know what's going on there. Um, you need to know their work ethic. Otherwise, you don't take them on, period. Then you have to find a song that really fits them. Song selection is so difficult. And it is so hard to know in your heart when it's the right song. There have been times that I have started routines and a couple months later, I will say, this isn't it. This is not going to happen. This is not it. We got to change the song. And I have done that a lot, a lot of times. Or the couple comes to you and says, hey, we have this great song. Um, We want to use it for routine. And I'll hear the song. I'm thinking, this is a nice little social dance song. This is not a good song for a routine. When you look for a song, you want it to affect the audience. The audience has to be on the ride with you from start to finish so that they feel it and they're behind you. You want, and the audience is the judges. The judges are not just judging. They are the audience. They are watching what you're doing. You want to touch them as well. But mostly you really want to hit the audience on this and make them feel something. So in a song, specifically, if we're actually making like a recipe of a song right now, it would have a nice, easy beginning. There's a storyline that follows through. There's great rhythm and timing. There's some nice little silent breaks, places where you can do different things. And it has a nice slow buildup. And when the buildup hit, hits, you've gone on such a beautiful ride up to that point that it crescendos and your audience is there. You're finishing on a high and the audience is still there. That to me is a great song. Mm-hmm. Do all songs that are great do that? No. Not all of them do, but then the song has to touch your heart for it to be good without any sort of a crescendo, whether it's the words or the story, something has to touch you. So I'm not fond of pop songs a lot, um, unless pop songs are something that can be edited differently. Um, I always go to more traditional songs. I, I don't know, maybe it's just my age, but I like those classic songs that just they knew what they were doing back then. I don't they, think it's your age. Yeah. They knew horns. They knew what a saxophone made you dance like. They knew how a piano or a jazz artist was singing it. it there's just, there's something so timely about the, that kind of music that I kind of steer a little bit towards that. But I have done pop stuff. Not my favorite. Not my favorite. But there are some pop songs that are great. 
But as far as choreography, again, you got to know the dancers, what they're capable of. You got to have a great song and you got to really partner with them and know, again, if there is something's not looking right, something's not looking right and you change it. Deborah, have you ever changed? Like I remember a couple times when I used to compete and I had my dance attack group and maybe we would do five different versions of an ending. And in practice rehearsal, we practice with a certain ending. I would be standing ready to go on. Backstage. And we change go, it. Yes. Go, go back to the other ending. And yes. they go, Lori, I said, no, go back to the original ending. I'm, there's a, I'm not feeling right about this. And I would literally change it right before we walk on. Yeah. That's how, that's how <laughs> crazed. I mean, it's crazy with the choreographer. You're thinking, you're thinking all the time. And it's like, no, no, the other one was the best one. Yeah. My dance instructor has done that several times when we go to competition, you know, yeah. and, but it works. Get inside of you that it's, it's, you just know in your heart that that's what it's supposed to be. Well, now that we're talking about this, cause this is a good segue. I mean, what is your take on like West Coast swing these days and especially what we're seeing in, in competition today? So for a while there, Deborah, I think everything was more pop. Um, and when I say more pop during a time, let's say from 2000, let's go into the 2000 area. Um, there was a lot of remix stuff going on. So you would have a song that had several different ways of making it feel different. Um, you, I think, were probably one of the first couples, Deborah, to yeah. kind of do that remixy kind of thing. And mm -hmm. it was exciting because, in a sense, you found a great song as a pop, but they had a slower version of it. Right. It was like, oh, this is great. We can merge both worlds into this. And it worked. You guys were the you guys did that the first of any dancer that I remember. And then people started emulating that. And right. then they, um, they went straight to more pop, Justin Timberlake stuff, Michael Jackson, Bruno Mars, that kind right. of stuff. And I do love those artists, by the way, mm -hmm. um, love their music on that. Then it started to go into more characterization. So, Dark swing, evil swing, right? Um, <laughs> scientific <laughs> swing, robotic <laughs> swing. It started it's because the music in this time started doing different things. So the dancers were trying to emulate that and trying to be edgy, the first of to do something like that. But then what happened was for years you would have the copycatters. And so that kind of stuff would last for four or five years. Then you'd have somebody do something else. And then it went more into the contemporary feel where it was a softer music, more of an acoustic feel and storyline and emotions filled. And that became big. And that still is big. A lot of that is still around right now. So in any of those cases, Deborah. I love good swing. I love great swing. I love when a couple is tripling together, looking at each other's faces and smiling. I don't think there's anything more endearing than that when you see a West Coast swing routine. The trend that I see right now that I don't like, Deborah, is the dancers do not look at each other. And they are performing a routine to the audience, have nothing to do with their partner. And you're losing that sweetness, the uniqueness of what a social dance is and the pleasure it is to dance with somebody out on the floor, having their hand with your hand, going on this journey for the next three minutes out there on the floor. 
And I remember one time Skippy Blair said in, I don't know if it was a lecture I heard her say, but she said, I'm so tired of seeing swing dancers looking at the audience. You are dancing with somebody. Why are you not looking at this person? And she said that she would actually score it down. Your scores lower if she didn't see you looking. So maybe it's from when I heard her say that. And that was back like in the 2000s, early 2000s. And every routine I choreographed, you are looking at your, your partner unless you both are coming downstage. You sound and, like me. Right. Mm-hmm. And then fine. You're looking downstage and I get it. But mm-hmm. even so, Deborah, sometimes even as they're going downstage, sometimes I'll have them looking at each other. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Think kind of like, here we go. Let's go down to the next part of the routine. So that's the only trend that I don't like right now. And it's kind of like these faces. They get these fierce faces and, the, you know, the anticipation of the music. And I'm like, just enjoy the mm-hmm. dance and what you're doing out there. This is yeah. a beautiful dance. It doesn't have angst. You don't have to have angst all the time that you're on the floor. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the biggest things that I'm not liking that I see in West Coast Swing right now. I think um, this year with Benji producing the music that he did in the storyline, mm-hmm. that definitely is a first for everybody that has ever been in West Coast Swing, which mm-hmm. I thought was Genius. That's a beautiful way to retire and to share his feelings with everything he's gone through um, mm-hmm. from the time he was little. And I think that that had a place. I don't know if that would have been a good routine in the middle of his career. Um, it would have been a little pre-jumping. Mm-hmm. You know, he had to live. He had to live for 14 years of this thing to really right. understand what he was feeling with that. But even then, it was joyous. It was emotional. You know, you cried some of the words, but it was a it was a celebration. And I think that's what West Coast Swing should be. And I think couples sometimes are just making it a machine at times where you got to have this in this routine. You got to have that. You got to do this. And da, 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 da. Instead of just let's let's hear the music. Let's play with it. Let's be the first ones. Let's be a Robert and Deborah do a remix first. Let's mm-hmm. be a Benji that does a double cartwheel first. Let's right. let's be Robert that. Yeah, it, it's yeah. like. Be original. You don't have well, to. I, well, wouldn't you say that? <clears throat> I don't want to. I don't want to make this sound judgy, mm-hmm. but the people that are original and and pioneers and innovators are usually the people who have an affinity for this dance. That they're, they're talented. They're driven. This is what they love, and this is what they do. And everyone else is kind of just along. For the ride, they want to have fun. It's not their profession, so they're right. not. So they copy. Right, right, right. I think it's interesting you mentioned the. I mean, even with Benji, right? His his pieces have always, especially over the last few years, I think, have been very emotional. Yeah. Um, and Deborah and I did an episode all about routines, and we talked about that. How a lot of the routines these days, you know, the dance in general is getting more athletic, and yeah. um, it seems that people, even in the routines are focusing on the physical feats. Like there's a lot of impressive physical feats and not right. as much heart or emotion. Right. Um, are you seeing that trend too? And and do you feel the same that as we do that it's also happening in our Jack and Jill's and Strictly's? Oh, okay. So as far as routines go, yes, I think there's an outdoing of somebody with tricks. Right. They don't ever want to outdo with their swing. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> is the trick going to be harder than the other person's? Is the costume better than the other person's? What right. about doing some West Coast swing people? I, I agree with that, Deborah, wholeheartedly. I, I think 
again, there maybe there has to be like you can only have. I, I know in showcase you can only have a minimum of three lifts and a maximum of five. No, um, now it's unlimited, but I think they're yeah, going to go and back. Now it's 64 yeah, sixty-four here. Yeah, even yeah. Weird on that. So I, I think the generations that are moving and grooving this dance. Um, Deborah, you being, I think, probably one of the first leaders of changing West Coast swing, um, you are all going to be the ones that keep the dance centered. Mm-hmm. And it's like you said, it's the ones you look to that are the innovators, and you really have to just trust those innovators and really listen to what they have to say whether it be in a workshop, whether it be in choreography, and really trust that. And unless you are one of those unique people that come along every now and then that can innovate something and give West Coast Swing still a West Coast Swing feel, but also being new and inspiring, then you really have to fall on the laurels of those before you. And um, I, I, I'll tell you this, Deborah, and this is, I don't even know if you remember this at all, uh, Phoenix Swing. Mm-hmm. Years ago, you were there. I was judging, and you got um, Ramiro Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. And it was a champion, Jack mm-hmm. and Jill. Yeah. And you guys were cooking. You guys were just off the charts. Footwork, feel, no tricks, no nothing. Grooving so damn good with the music. I put you first mm-hmm. and I remember you came up cause they used to have the judges at a table and you could yes. and, and talk to them. And I remember you coming up, go, you're the only one that gave us first. I said, then the other judges don't know what they saw. Exactly. Cause that was true dancing to this day. Romero Gonzalez is one of my all time favorite dancers. Mm-hmm. To watch. Yes. I Still. just adore the man. Unbelievable dancer. So I feel like I'm a reincarnated glory swimmer because we, we say a lot of the same things. Yeah. We teach a lot of the same ways. Like, yeah. you know, students would come up to me and I'd be like, they would say, you're the only one that gave us first. And I would say, well, everyone else has no idea what they're looking at. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, it's like, do you not know how hard it is to make swing look literally effortlessly and be moving your feet at a thousand miles an hour and making complete sense with the music yeah. versus here's a dip with a wink and a leg kick. Right. right. Okay. All, that's all well and good. Really, what did you just do? Mm-hmm. You posed. Look right. at the one that's dancing over here. Are you kidding me? Right. So uh, that kind of goes into the question, Eric, about Jack and Jill's. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Same thing. You watch, and I, I get, I get really not frustrated. I get worried for the generations that just continue to copy. One dance after one dance after one dance. And when you're at a weekend event and you see these dancers and they're wearing the same clothes and they're doing their hair the same and they're doing it, it gets to a point like, please, somebody, please, somebody just step out and be a swing dancer. Mm. And let's see if you can win the contest. Let's hope that there's a judge out there that is appreciating what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, if I see one girl throw her hair more or touch her hair, I swear, Deborah, I don't. <laughs> it, it, it's like. Hairography. It, it's like, and I won't say the girl's name, but there's a dancer that's pretty well known in the Jack and Jill world. 
And one night I was watching her in a final and I started counting how many times she flipped her hair. It was 27 times. Oh my God. Literally 27 times. And the only reason why I was watching her was I'd already finished judging. And so I was just kind of taking a look around the room to make sure, yep, this was a good placement, checking my scores. And I kept seeing that hair from the corner of my eyes. And I'm going, my gosh, what is going on? And then I sat there and I watched her hair. And I went up to this dancer, by the way, about, I don't know, two or three months later. And I said, I want to give you some good advice. Mm-hmm. Do not touch your hair and do not throw your hair in a contest because of that. I did not place you in a contest one time. Distracting. So quit touching your mm-hmm. hair. To this day, she never touched her hair. Mm-hmm. Anytime I've seen her, she's not touched her hair any longer. So yeah. I know, Deborah, if it's like, if it's, I think if a judge goes to a competitor with very good intentions and very good, honest remarks to actually really help that dancer improve. In fact, if you see that that dancer could be doing so much more, but they're doing those stupid things. Right. I think it's a decent thing to do. I don't think you're putting them down. I don't think that you're cornering them. I think you're saying, listen, I think you're great, but get rid of that stuff. There's a, there's a youth dancer um, from Arizona that I think is a pretty good little dancer. And she was, or she was decorating the dance so much that it looked like she had ADHD. It was like an, (laughs) you know what I mean? An ADHD dancer. It was like, God, slow down just for even one, two, three, four, just breathe for a second. So I went up to her and Mm -hmm. I said, you are a fine little dancer. I said, I'm going to ask you a really weird question. Do you have ADHD? And she goes, I do. I said, (laughs) I go, so does your dancing. Your dancing has ADHD too. I said, you have got to take a breath and slow down every moment. Get a line, get a picture, get a moment out there. Please just don't do that. And she has stopped dancing that way. Hmm. So, Deborah, I I think it's like I said, it's our responsibility to make sure that swing dancing is kept in a way that we appreciate it back even 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when it was about West Coast Swing. Um, this year, this is going to sound I, I don't want to be in, to embarrass you, Deborah. But you and PJ should have been in that final. You should have been in the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, they put in couples that looked like they were ballerinas. And mm. you could tell that some of these girls were standing up so tall. And yes, they had beautiful long necks. Yes, their shoulders were down. Right. Yes, their toes were pointed. But I don't think their swing was that good. And what really bothered me then, Deborah, is the judges did. Because the judges put them in a final. And that is where I get worried. That's where I'm like, are you being so wowed? The fact that her leg goes up to her shoulder, kicks, and then she holds her hand a certain way. Are you being so wowed by pirouettes that go on like she's a little toe dancer? Mm-hmm. I I really worry about that kind of stuff because it's being awarded. And we have to do something about that, to be honest with you. Um, I I'm felt not sure what we're going to do because I know it's a lot it's of us, a lot of people, a lot of us that are qualified to judge are dancing still. Okay. So do you know what I always say to my dancers? Mm-hmm. Who's judging? Listen, let me tell you how you're going to do. Who's judging at this comp? Mm-hmm. I go, please tell me Deborah Seke is on the panel. <laughs> and I say this to all my dancers. I said, she is the only true judge out there that could judge any style of dance that is presented on the floor. The 
only one that can do it. I will not name names right now, but I was in a discussion recently and we were talking about what swing is. And I raised my hand. I said, is swing pirouettes? Mm -hmm. And this person said, no, it's not swing. And so then somebody explained to this person a one-footed assisted turn. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's swing. Well, those are called pirouettes. Right. This person didn't know that. And this person was judging at the open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotcha. The education of a judge is viable, Deborah. Where West Coast Swing is going to go. Um, and that worries me. It worries me a lot. Um, especially, like I said, this year at the Open, I felt that there was a lot of ballerinas um, in that division. Good ballerinas, and, though, just not good swing dancers. Not good swing dancers, no. Right. But so, that worries me. So we've had the conversation uh, recently in light of the Open about swing content. And I'm just curious, since we're talking about it, what do you as a judge look for that defines swing content? Swing dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like, what are you seeing? Like, what would you tell another okay. judge to look at? Okay. Uh, Eric, are you a swing dancer? Yes. Yes. Okay. So everything evolves. All movement in West Coast Swing evolves from a sugar push, underarm turn, a pass, a tuck, a whip. Mm -hmm. Any any pattern that we ever do, no matter how creative it is, it still has one of those characteristics, right? So we do all these variations of a sugar push and variations of a tuck, everything. So it all goes through that. A judge has to be aware what they're actually looking at. And I think sometimes judges don't count a certain step as a pattern because it didn't have exactly the same footing and the length of the pattern. So you have to have a fine eye that says, here it goes. There's count one, two, the three and four was a turn. Oh, they extend to five and six and seven and eight and nine and 10, 11 and 12. And there's your triple. Well, that was an underarm turn, but mm -hmm. it was an extended underarm turn. It ended. It was a West Coast swing pattern. In competition, we have to do variations so that it doesn't look like it's a compulsory routine where everybody has to do the same steps, kind of like medals, like in ballroom, you have medals awards where everybody or like does. ice skating. Yes, very much so. So if that's what we have to do, I mean, if you think about it, are we going to do a compulsory West Coast swing so that we say, OK, so this dancer really does know West Coast swing. But now the routine is going to look a little different. But he did or she did prove to me that she knows or he knows what West Coast Swing looks like. Mm -hmm. I think we have to train our judges. They have to have some sort of an accreditation, something that says that they've taken dancing or training or something that they have a language of West Coast Swing. They can see it through a pattern of a variation. They see the start. They see the meat in the middle and they see the ending of this. They see how it segues into the next thing. But if you don't have a trained eye, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Right. But the judge did not understand that these are mm -hmm. pirouettes on a girl because she's on one foot in passe. Right. And half of them don't even know what passe means. They don't know what passe means. <laughs> right. So I think the part of the problem is, is that, you know, we, we, could, we could have a, an accredited uh, system, you know, all day long uh, for swing. 
But if you, if you haven't experienced all the things that you're accredited in, you don't really have knowledge about it. I don't care that you, right, that you take a test that says, uh, you know, these many lifts. Well, do you know what, how that lifts works? And do you know what goes into that lift? And, Deborah, and this is right. Deborah, so, this is, this is what's very disheartening. And I remember, um, one year and I won't say the name of the judge it was at the open and Benji was dancing with Tori and Tori was very tiny. She was only six or seven years old and they did in cabaret and we did lifts with her and all kinds of tricks. And being six years old, she forgot to keep her chin up in this one move and her nose hit the floor. I remember well, this. She never, ever flinched. The little girl mm -hmm. kept going. Her nose was bleeding. And Benji's lifting her up at the end. And she goes, Mom, she hit her nose. And I didn't even see it off to the side. So a judge disqualified. Gave her a zero. Yeah, disqualified them. Mm -hmm. And I was just appalled. And I, mm -hmm. I went up to this judge and I said, you mean to tell me that you are disqualifying all the lessons that they took? You're disqualifying how much the costume costs. You're disqualifying the event ticket, the hotel room, the food. You're disqualifying saying they were never there because she happened to drop her chin when she should have left it up. Mm -hmm. She's six years old. She finished the routine. Everything should have been fine. Mm -hmm. And you disqualified it. And I said, and on top of that, what are your qualifications for judging this category? And I said, do you know what a T-press is? She said, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do you know what I, I remember this like it was yesterday. I do not. And it's like, why are you judging cabaret? Be brave enough to say, if an event director calls you and says, we want you to judge cabaret, at least be honest enough. Say, listen, I don't know enough about it. I, I don't think I would be uh, a good judge right. for this category. Right. That's where the honorability of a person, the credibility needs to come from that person too. Mm -hmm. Not just to say, Ooh, I'm a judge at this event and I'm going to really, you know, throw some wrenches out there on things. It's, it's not, it's not fair to the dancer, but to that judge now though, oh my that God. judge now though, will not judge cabaret. I know yes. you know about this. She, yeah. mm -hmm. a year later, which is ironic. She was, judging at the open again. And she came up to me and she said, ever since I talked with you, Lori, I had a long time to think about this. And she goes, you're right. She goes, I will never judge cabaret again. And she right. has. So that yeah. was a good thing. Yeah. Yes, totally. Well, I think the other aspect, and you mentioned this earlier, and Deborah and I have talked about it, is that um, on the on the subject of like swing content, um, there were couples in the finals who were doing variations on whips passes and pushes but like you said they may have looked like ballerinas mm -hmm. right so is there something about uh uh quality of movement or the way they're moving that you look for that to you is more of a swing action than what you're seeing because again you could do the passes pushes and whips and still right. not exactly be swing dancing okay so when i judge a jack and jill the first thing i look at is quality of movement first thing i look at Next thing I look at timing, next thing I look at partnering. After that, then I just need to figure out who did it better, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Quality of movement in any type of dancing shows the credibility of the dancer that you're looking at, shows the training, shows the lack of training. Um, what Deborah was talking about earlier about the trend of West Coast Swing now is we're, we're utilizing so many different styles of music and then putting West Coast Swing on top of that. Mm -hmm. This is a hard line. It, it's a really hard line what we're getting into because 
if you're doing a song, and I remember one of the routines that was out there had this beautiful, light, sweet kind of music. No words. It was just all instrumental. Instrumental. Mm-hmm. Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And was it done beautifully? Yes, it was. Would we talked I, about this, Eric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would mm-hmm. I have called it West Coast Swing routine? It was West Coast Swing by the book. She was doing patterns. They were doing patterns. Was it what we usually see in a West Coast swing? No, it wasn't. If I had been a judge, would I have judged it higher? No, I would not. I I wouldn't have put that couple up there at all. Right. Um, and I happen to know the choreographer of that routine, by the way, too. Um, but I I hope that somehow people like Deborah, people like Jordan, and Jordan and Tatiana, they're innovators. Those two yes. are innovators in the most creative movement, and they took swing to another level, especially being classified in the classic division where there are so many rules of you can't do this and can't do that and only can't be out of eight of this and this and this and this. That's really hard to be creative. But what I, I feel happened this year and, and last year is they finally were cut, those strings were cut, and they did that gorgeous routine at, at the Open on Friday mm-hmm. night, which was amazing. Right. It really was. But they don't have to be judged any longer. So right. they West Coast Swing in there and they can now make it artistic, which I think is great. And maybe, Deborah, one of these days, maybe a category for that type of thing may be present one day. Maybe well, we are going to have to put that stuff in their own division. Well, they just, it's funny you should say this. <laughs> right. they, they just came out that the Open is going to do an Opus division called Fusion, where okay. you only have to have 30%. 30% swing. 30% swing. Which, great. Great. For those people <laughs> who want to right. do that. So, yeah, um, I'm torn between... I'm I'm torn between. Uh, let me let me just say this again before I. I am torn. Every I feel like since the beginning of time because I've only been going to the U.S. Open since 1996. I feel like that every year at the Open there's always something or controversial or always. always. It's always. never a weekend of. Well, that was great and everything's good and swings and it's doing awesome. Yay! Yes. No. <laughs> It's always like, you know, the, the demise of swing, swing is a conundrum, swing violation, co- content warning. Oh gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the whole the whole violation thing is really it, that's really tough um, for somebody to say that you don't have enough swing in a routine. How can they possibly know that sitting there watching your routine unless you get a stopwatch and unless you start timing those pieces? Now, I don't know if they go back into the judging room and actually do that. Maybe they do do that. Maybe they they don't. Okay. (laughs) There's no way then you can honestly get a violation then unless somebody is actually doing that. I know with my routines that we choreograph, I have a stopwatch. We literally stopwatch every single piece and make sure that there's enough content in there. Right. But, Lori, I'm going to say something. I'm going to cut you off. I know for a fact that if you sat and you judged, if Buddy sat there and judged, if Benji sat there and judged, if I sat there and judged, Jordan Tatiana sat there and judged. Concero sat there and judged. We can look at a routine without a stopwatch and know for a fact that it has enough swing in it. Hands down. Yes, absolutely. Hands down. Absolutely. So the and problem is, is that we're, we're giving uh, judges the, the right and the opportunity to decide swing content who don't understand 
breast wing is. Right. And that probably is the biggest problem of getting violations or having a couple get a violation from a judge like that and then having to live with that for another year before they come back to the open and have it done again to them. So look, there's, this is why we're, we're in a conundrum. Last year, I judged at the open, as you know, um, and I did not violate anybody in classic or give them a swing content warning in classic because my philosophy, not to mention it's my prerogative to do that or not. My philosophy is if they go through a whole year of dancing and it's never violated, warned, I don't care, old routine, new routine, they, they never enforce it. Why am I going to do it at the open? Right. Just to say you did it. Right. Just to make a point that you're, uh, you have say so over that couple and that you are the final end all do all say all for this couple. Right. Um, you know, Deborah, swing violations have only been around for what, five years, four years, something like that? At the open? No, you know, we've had them around a long time. They've just never been as prevalent as they are at the open now. But yeah. we used to, we used to go through this at, my God, at Seattle Easter Swing. It used to be a huge, big yeah. deal. There'd be violations yeah. and warnings everywhere, even when I, I was competing. That. I remember that. Yeah. Now, I remember that Seattle yeah. did do that a lot. Yeah. It was yeah. a whole big controversy. And it's like you're violating, you're warning. You don't even know what you're looking at. Yeah. Half the people that should be judging are dancing. Half of what I do, and the people that are judging me can't even do what I do. Right. Right. You couldn't even triple the way I triple. Forget about no. the things that I could do with my other dance training. Yeah. And now you're judging me. That's why I laugh. That's why you say to me, you should have been in the top five, Deborah. And in my head, I go, ha, look who is judging me. Who cares? That's why I always say to my dancers, who are the judges? Okay. Right. Well, well, there, there it goes. Go. No. Um, you know, I, I heard that a judge at the open, Yeah, I'm not going to say their name. I'm not going to say the couple, but this judge at the open placed a couple in showcase lower than they should have been because she didn't like that. The female was opening her mouth too much when she was dancing. What the F are you looking at? If you're looking at the person's face and mouth the whole time, you should be watching their dancing. Um, so excuse my pigs in the background if you're hearing that oinking. I'm really sorry. <laughs> That's all right. We already my heard mom. the rooster maybe, earlier. Maybe my biggest pig. Um, I think then, Deborah, that's the scariest kind of judge because um, yes. they have they have chips on their shoulder. Yes. Um, and they're gonna get back. They're gonna get back at maybe a girl that was like that when they competed. Right. And kind of girl always won. Well, there she is again. Well, now I'm a judge and I can go ahead and do something about it now. Um, those Talk are the scariest kind of judges. Those are the scariest kind of judges. And we have a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a question now because, you know, now we're talking about judging and, you know, and we just talked about a, a female judge who did this. So what has been your experience as a, you know, female dance instructor and how has being a woman in the swing dance world and the dance world shaped your career and your identity? Um, like I said at the beginning when we first started talking today, you know, it was kind of like the men had to say so in teaching. Uh, the girl was always assisting in class. Uh, we didn't really say much when I first started. And then as those years went by, there were more women that were starting to teach on their own, but they would usually pull a guy in from the class to partner with them. You would never see, let's say, uh, Tori Smith and Benji Schwimmer. Tori would not be running that complete workshop. 
Benji ran the complete workshop and Tori assisted. So even, even that close ago, we were still seeing that. I see now dancers, even though they're couples, they're starting now just to teach separately. Um, even though they're a couple, and I think they should, just because you're a routine couple doesn't mean you have nothing to do with West Coast Swing on the right. social floor, or the Jack and Jill floor. In fact, routine dancing is a whole other ball game. You don't even have to like your partner. Preach! <laughs> you could be great in a routine, but you don't like them. You don't want to teach with them, let alone travel. So I think nowadays they are finally just allowing the women to teach a workshop by themselves. And it hasn't been that recent that this that this has been going on. It, it's finally doing that. I remember um, that if Buddy and I were going to be hired somewhere that and we were going to judge and we had to be hired and we had to either do a show or we had to be involved with something with a routine. Otherwise, they would not take us. Right. So kind of had to come in as a package deal. Since that has gone away, it's, it's, I don't know who has actually done that. I don't know who the trailblazers of doing that. Maybe Deborah, you were, I'm not sure. I'm but, one of them. Marianne yeah, started a little bit. Right. But I, right. More. So yeah. the, the trend of that, thank God you guys were around to do that because you don't need to have your partner side by side teaching a workshop. Um, and I think a long time ago, as well, as far as choreography goes, most of the choreography and swing routines were done by, by the men. The, there were not girls, a lot of women doing choreography. Maybe they'd have a little, oh, I did that one, two in the count of eight. Maybe they had a little snippet of something. But I don't think there were a lot of women choreographers, especially when I was first married to Buddy. It was right. mostly the men. And maybe it's because they felt the men were the leaders and mm -hmm. therefore they knew more about that. So you better have me do the choreography because I know what to do for a man. And really, you're just the follower. And yeah, we were just brainwashed, I think, at that yeah, point. I mean, you know what I mean, Deborah? Yeah, things aren't perfect now. Deborah, yet. Think, about, think about, I remember times where, and this was a while ago, this was a while ago, it's changed horribly, I mean, horribly good, that a man would not take a lesson from a woman to learn about leading. I know. It's true. <laughs> and wouldn't you think the woman would be the best one because she's the one that feels, Following. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so sure. I remember the first time some guy came to me and I said, would you want to work? And he goes, a lead. I go, really? <laughs> okay. Yes, yeah. We'll work on lead. But there was a time that that was not happening. No, I, I totally um, agree with God that. It is. Thank God that that's starting to change. It um, needs to be better, but it is changing. It is. It is changing. And I think there are still some men that will just go to the men for leading. Well, so. I also think that we have to recognize too, that a lot of events are run by men. There so, you go. <laughs> there you go. So that, you know, so there's that. And their rule is, you know, like, either we hire a couple. You what? know what's about that though, Deborah? And we know this. Behind every successful man is a great are woman. about a thousand, thousand successful women behind them. No, I know. I agree with that. Which so is you know that event director may be a male on that microphone. I would love to see the people in his committee stand up and I bet they'd all be women. Hmm. Probably more than yeah, half, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Women just organize better. They just Women, do. I know. Sorry, Eric. But <laughs> That's fine. It took me a long time did. to get organized. Eric's actually, I will say this Eric's a woman in power for sure. Oh, awesome. 
Yeah. I think women can just multitask. We're, we're, I think our DNA is that way that we can just do a lot of things all at the same time because we have to. We have to. Otherwise, mm-hmm. everything falls apart. Right. Because we're the yeah. nurturers. Yeah. And Deborah, like right now, I have uh, animals out there that were just fed and the yard has to be cleaned up from their poop. I have laundry and in the dryer. My bed needs to be made. I'm talking with you. I have a staff meeting at the studio today. I mean, this is this is it. This right. is what it is. Right. I don't know all men that can do all that. Not putting men down. It just is that way. Well, when they have to do all that, though, they have a secretary who tells them what to do. Hey, and they <laughs> care. And right. they care. Right. We want to do it for free. Right. <laughs> yeah. Event ticket. I was gonna say a lot of those male event directors that like aren't organized and don't have their stuff together. I think, I think, I hope most people know there usually is a singular woman, if not a team of women, who's like really Always. running things. <laughs> it's either their spouse or their yes. partner or a close right. friend. It's somebody who's making Eric. stuff happen. Eric, right. I agree. Any event I've ever been to, if the organizer isn't there, they say, go see so-and-so if you can't find me. And it's always a woman. Right. It's always a woman. <laughs> Seriously, I, I can name every event. And there's always a woman behind that organizer. So why do you think there aren't, and this is to both of you, why do you think there aren't more female event directors? Like, they're running the show anyway. Why aren't they just the face of the event as well? You know, I I, I don't know how to answer that. Um, I do. How? <laughs> Oh. I think there aren't more female event directors because we still have to deal with all the males that run everything else in the swing community. It's just too much. Do you think, too, that somehow in a weird, freaky sort of way that people, men and women, will go toward a leader that's a man? Yep. It still no, happens today. Yeah. They know that if, uh, you know, Joe Blow... He's he's done this, this, and this. Well, then he's going to have a great event. I will go. If a woman has an event, I don't know. I don't know if everybody's going to follow her. And I, Listen, and I most of us that have ran events as females, we always have a male partner with us. There you go. But that's not because you need the man to run the event. So is it? No. Is it because Sounds you have to deal with other so, male I professionals? I, I think it's other I male professionals. Women, yeah, I think that women support women all the time. I don't think men support women all the time. Right. And so I think that that's why there has to be kind of that draw. And I think in the future, if somebody, some strong personality like a Deborah Seke, Sarah Van Drake, I mean, well, Sarah does things with um, Kyle, but let's take Deborah. If she was to run an event, I would go to the event. Mm-hmm. Deborah's mm-hmm. strong. She's a strong force. Mm-hmm. It's not just that she's a great dancer. She's a force. And because of that, then I would say I would like to go to that event. Right. There, People that have run events, men that have run events, I don't even know how. I don't even know how they had an event in the first place. Um, and I've seen it just fall apart in places. I've been to events where it's like, where the heck is the organizer of this event? Mm-hmm. This is going on and that's going on. And then they come out with a, you know, shot of tequila in their hand and they've been drinking all night upstairs. <laughs> yet everybody else has been like going crazy downstairs. So it's, I don't know. Um, I think there has to be a, a certain force in a person to be a leader. And I think a leader runs an event. Here's the one, Deborah. This is kind of a question. What do you feel about people buying an event from somebody? Mm-hmm. And then do you think that the new buyer 
will have the same draw. We have a few I examples think, in the last couple of years. Well, I think I think it also dep- it depends on the new buyer, uh, but I think the new buyer could have a better draw, if not the same, because they approach the event differently than the original buyer than the original owner did. Um, so I, I don't I wouldn't necessarily follow someone because they're new or it was bought. I, I follow them because I want to see what their work ethic is. Okay, so like City of Angels was yes. bought. Mm-hmm. By somebody new. Good work ethic. She she on top of things spends the money, understands what's what, what works. Uh, is she is she rough around the edges uh, for some things a little bit, and she needs to be because she's in a community that's dominated by men. Yeah, we have to be that way in the community. And, and so she's funny. abrasive sometimes, but she's great at what she does. And the thing about you know. For instance, like, let's say Halloween swing thing. John mm-hmm. Wheaton actually owns the event, but he put the face of the event as Jordan and Todd, which I thought Deborah was brilliant. Yeah, like, look how great it is now. Yes. If you have, if you have the knowledge and the way about organizing something, but maybe just are not that kind of person that's going to draw somebody in, you're not a great swing dancer. So why would I go to your event? To put a name or a face of somebody that is popular, that is doing well with their dancing. I think is fantastic. No, I think that's the right way to go. I don't think the person that you've mentioned, City of Angels, uh, has figured that out yet. But yeah. she will. Yes, but absolutely. She, you know, she will. Yeah. Um, I I think the smart event directors, because that's how it worked with me. I was I was the face of an event, and I brought that event back from the ashes in Toronto. It was literally right. on hiatus the year before, so there was right. no momentum um, behind it. Yeah. So after three years, I was like, okay, great, you guys are. Awesome. Right. I'm done right. and I'm, I'm, I'm gone. And there you go. Right. And so I think it's a, a, I like the trend of that. I do like that. And I think it just, it gives you a different feeling of what the event's going to be like considering whoever that couple is that is going to be the face of that. I think it's fantastic. Right. I mean, look at any event, any event in the world, there's always a celebrity name attached to it. That's I how agree. you people in. So right. I think it's great. I totally agree. Yeah. So reflecting on your career, um, it's been an extensive career, choreographer, performer, teacher, judge, um, parent, parent (laughs) to successful dancers. Um, uh, what have you learned? What would you pass on to the next generation of dance professionals? Oh my gosh. Um, be patient, be very patient. Um, I think some of these dancers these days, they want to win and they want to be the name and they don't realize how long it takes to be a great dancer. It is not overnight. It is never going to be overnight. You are going to have so many pitfalls along the way. But if you truly love dancing and you truly love what you do, then do it the right way and don't try to get there too fast. Don't say to yourself, well, this person judged at that event, so I'm going to take a lesson from that judge because then they're going to mark me higher. And it's it's all of that stuff. Do it the right way. Be trained properly. Do your work. Get in dance classes. Yes. Go take a ballet class, for gosh sakes, and learn how to stretch your neck and lower your shoulders. Stand tall. Get training. Be knowledgeable what you're doing. And then be patient. Listen to the people. The other thing, too, is to have 
people around you, the ones that, that are in your camp or your team or whatever, trust them. And it, it's so easy for you to get an opinion from every judge, every, every one of your friends, every dance community. And then you walk away feeling like, good God, did I do anything right? Did, did, <laughs> did I do anything right in this performance? Because it's going to be too, too up and down on everybody. The words, Donnie Burns, I talked to him about early, earlier, world Latin champion. He had a coach from the time he was nine years old till the time this man died, that he was 92, I believe, or something. And the guy told Donnie, um, he said, my advice to you is only to listen to one voice. And he says, you can hear other things and you can, you know, sift through whatever you hear. But unless you can only hear one voice that really has the best interest for you, you're never going to get too far because you really do have to have trust in this business, any sort of business in show business. I don't care if it's television, West Coast swing, dance company, whatever it is. You really have to have that person on your side. And Donnie did this lecture one time and he said, I trusted Laird Mooney so much that if he told me to jump off a cliff and it would make my dancing better, he goes, I would have jumped off a cliff. Mm -hmm. That's how much I trusted that man because I knew he loved me. He wanted me to do well and he would be honest with everything I did. And I think that we are losing that. I think it's just about getting a great routine and winning. And now I get to travel all over the world and I get to do workshops and blah, 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 blah. Preach. And, and I'm like, well, really? That's what you did this for? <laughs> because uh, yes. you can get a workshop anywhere you want to get a workshop if you call the right person. I mean, it's, it's the fact, be patient and, and know your craft mm -hmm. and know who you are, know what you're about, display that everything you do and, trust the people around you. And I think you will become a great dancer. I told you you were my sister from another mister. Yeah, I know, Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> just got, like in the wrong line in heaven. We were like going down the line and something sideswiped us and we yes. got disconnected right. and we found each other on earth. Yes. <laughs> it worked out great. I'm happy we did. You were such a great guest, Laurie. Yeah, thank you so much. This was fantastic. And I'm, I'm glad I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with you. This has been fantastic. Deborah and I have had several ideas of doing things like this. And um, I'm just glad she's, she's taken on this because I think this is fantastic. And Eric, you too. Nice meeting you. And are you the big technician guy of this thing? I do the well, editing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny it. how this came about. Like Eric and I would spend, you know, whenever we're at events together, we always like to just like have a drink and just talk with each other because we like each other's company. And we don't really talk about dance all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We like, we like to, you know, dance yes. and life. You know, yeah. We like to, you know, work our brains a little bit. And every once in a while, things would come up about just like dancing in the world or whatever. And, and we'd get so passionate about it. And, <laughs> And I'm like, we need to make the rest Do of the something. world hear this. And yes, Deborah, you know what's funny is if you think about, it, and this is this goes on the question you talked about, ladies and swing, and how it's changed. You at an event are independent. Yes. So you are able to talk to anybody you want and not have your husband or other half saying, "When are you coming back to the room?" I'm hungry. Let's go get something to eat. Why are you down there so long? Right. You have the freedom mm -hmm. of talking to anybody you want for as long as you want 
on whatever subject you want right. and you do it at your own terms. And it's not to say because if you're married to somebody or you're dating somebody, your partners with another, you don't have a voice. But it really helps, Deborah, that you can do that and do it at your own pace and your own way and not have to say, hey, is it OK if I go down and talk to Eric for a little bit about West Coast Swing? I think that's why this is going on. That's why you're doing this right now is because you, you guys were able to have a solid talk and you're an independent person and this is what you wanted to do and you did it. Right. And so I think this shows an example of ladies in swing. I think you are setting the pace for that. Yay. Yay. <laughs> you're doing a great thing, Deborah. This is wonderful. Well, thanks to Eric. We'll put this together. Eric, thank you. It's been really nice meeting you. You're you're Thank quite you. a nice guy. <laughs> for two, two, two hot-headed women around here. I I like it. There's I good. I was You're raised good. with strong women and uh hey, I I appreciate it. So there. That's right. Yep. That is right. <laughs> um if people want to reach you, what's the best way they can do that? They can go on Facebook under Lori Schwimmer, Instagram Lori Schwimmer. It's okay. just Lori Schwimmer. There's nothing crazy. Excellent. Um, and if our listeners want to share their thoughts and reactions with us, you can, of course, post a comment on our website. You can uh, post a comment on one of our posts on Facebook. You can email Deborah and me through our site at thenakedtruthwcs.com. Um, and we also have a discussion group online. And actually, one of the discussions that was started by Tom Paderno, one of our guests, was about the Opus Division. So if you want to do that, you can look for The Naked Truth as a Facebook group and there are discussions happening there. You can tweet at us on Twitter at NakedTruthWCS, though doesn't seem like a lot of people are there. Um, and you can find us on Instagram as well at TheNakedTruthWCS. You can like us, follow us, and please do share our posts. And you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a number of other podcast hosting platforms. Of course, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on iTunes, go ahead and rate us and give us a review over on iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And that's the naked truth. So funny, I was in class, was it last week? And I don't know why. Oh, I do know why. Because I was on the flight with, like, there were people sitting in front of me. It was the flight from Minnesota to, to San Francisco. And for some reason, the people in front of one of the guys in front of me had, like, a, not a Midwestern accent. It was almost like a Texan, like a drawl. And so I started saying in class, all right, y'all are going to start on count five. And people are like, y'all, why do you keep saying y'all? And so I started telling them how I used to have a New York accent and lost it. And so I was like, I used to, I used to talk like this because I came from New York and that's how you talk. And you have oranges and you go to the forest and you ride the bus and the taxi and you talk about coffee. And I go home and my parents, and they were like cracking up. I was like, yeah. My mom's like, do you want some coffee for breakfast? And I'm like, no, I don't want any coffee. Do you want some pasta with the sauce? I'm like, no, I don't want the pasta with the sauce. <laughs> oh god at least you do it right when you imitate the accent because when some people do it they make it very oh um, like over overdone well they just do it like this and i'm like that's queen's people excuse my friend right, right no but that's what i said yeah. to somebody was like and it wasn't until i lived in manhattan that i realized the difference between queens brooklyn bronx yeah staten island yeah uh, long island long island long island uh island. yeah they are they are different I think nasal, I think more Boston. <laughs> like the only uh, way I could do a Boston accent is to talk like Mayor uh, Quimby. <laughs> oh, I'm from Boston. I talk it's more I, like wicked Park Park Harvard Yard. Yeah, Park Harvard Yard. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it's nasally, but Queens is really nasally. Yeah. Like people would say to me, 
Oh, you sound like Fran Drescher. And I'm like, no, no I don't. No. She's from Quanks. Right, right. <laughs> and I hold my nose when I do it, just like I just did. Yes. Right. That's so true. Oh, it's even like the people like, oh, so you're from New Jersey. And I'm like, no, what? I'm from New York. And they go, oh, same thing. And I'm like, uh, yeah. no. They go, yeah, it's the same. It's the same, same well, it is same to somebody who's not from the area. Oh, come on. No, I'm saying if you're not from, like, I can't distinguish between South Boston, North Boston. You know what I mean? Like, no, but they think Boston. that New York, and, uh, that New Jersey's in New York. Oh, no, that's just wrong. And I'm like, okay, first off, not not only did you get the accents wrong, but geographically you're wrong, <laughs> <Right>. too. <laughs> like, come on now. I'd be like, where are you from? Oh, Chicago? Oh, that's in Michigan, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're all in the Midwest somewhere. Isn't that just one? Right. It's like how Africa is a country, right? I mean, these things are true. Oh, my God. 